This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... How we can partner with institutions, with educational institutions, uh, with... Uh, the, the tech sector and digital, digital um, sector to support these, um, the youth on the continent who are more connected and capable uh, than ever to meet the challenges um, of, of this generation. That's Dana Banks, Special Assistant to the U.S. President and Chair of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit on one of the major focuses of next week's meetings. Details coming up. Also, a third round of peace talks for the DRC has ended with no reported progress. Somalia's president says the army and local militias have expelled Al-Shabaab militants from a strategic town. And Morocco, Africa's last hope at the World Cup, is triumphant over Spain. We have these stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. A third round of peace talks for the Democratic Republic of Congo has ended in Nairobi with no reported progress towards setting conflicts in the country's volatile eastern provinces. The Congolese government has accused the M23 rebel group of recently killing at least 270 civilians. Mohamed Yasuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. The talks ended after a week of discussions between the Congolese people and their government on how to bring peace and stability to the country. The only agreement was for continued dialogue between the government and local communities. However, the chief mediator at the conference, former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, serving as peace envoy from the East African Community Regional Bloc, said this was the beginning of peace in Congo. He said both sides agreed a 20-year-old war cannot be solved in one day, but said they must start a path that brings long-lasting peace. He said there was discussion about how there have been more peace conferences similar to this one with the government, and yet there has been no implementation of the peace agreement. He said this time around they should not just talk, but also implement what is possible. Among other things, participants discuss how local communities could benefit from mineral resources, which has been central to most of the armed conflict in eastern Congo. The meeting in Nairobi will be followed by a more consultations between the Congolese government, led by President Felix Tshisekedi, and rebel groups across the country. The main rebel group, M23, which has engaged with the Congolese forces in fierce fighting in the east of the country, was not present in the talks. The fighting has been going on in recent days, despite both sides agreeing to a ceasefire more than a week ago. The government of Congo said M23 fighters killed more than 270 people in the town of Kisheshi. The United Nations said it received reports of civilian casualties during fighting between M23 and other militias in Kisheshi. Lawrence Kanyuka, the spokesperson for the M23 group, denies the group is targeting civilians and calls for the international community to investigate the deaths. The DRC government, who speculated on the lives of people, one minute, 150, 120, goes back to 100 dead. But on those dead, 
There's no identity. There's no one identified. There's not the least known name of people. So that's why we said we need an investigation to happen. We want a thorough investigation, a swift independent inquiry to take place. Kanyuka accused the government forces and other rebel groups of attacking their positions. All fourth line have been attacked most of the time because the DRC government have another agenda, actually don't want any peace to happen in the DRC. So that's why the coalition forces always attack the M23. If it's not in the north, it's going to be in the south or somewhere. So basically, all the positions that are ordered by M23 always be under attack by these said coalitions. The East African Regional Bloc said it will check in on Congo's dialogue early next year, with the next meeting taking place in eastern Congolese cities of Bunia and Goma. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Somalia's President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed has announced the army and local militias have expelled Al-Shabaab militants from a strategic town. Adan Yabal in the middle Shabale region has been a base for the Islamist group since 2016. Analysts say its capture is a major blow to the terrorist group and the latest in a string of wins for Somalia's government forces. Ahmed Mohammed reports from the Somali capital Mogadishu. Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed said Somali army troops and a local militia duped the community defense forces took the town of Adanyabal from Ashabab without fight. He says the nation's forces are in the town of Adanyabal. It was the place where Somali people used to be summoned and harassed. He says Ashabab vacated it and they did not even try to resist. Security analysts say the capture of Adanyabal was not only a victory for the Somali government, but confirmed that the cooperation between Somali forces and the clan militia is working. Matt Pryden is the chairman of Sahan Research, a security and political think tank focusing on the Horn of Africa. The capture of Adanyabal by government forces and uh, allied militias is extremely important. Uh, in part because it's such a strategic location and has been um, an important Al-Shabaab stronghold for over five years, but um, also because it demonstrates that the combination of uh, government forces, their special forces, the SNA, and Ma'awisle, uh, or, or community defense forces, is working, um, not just uh, in Hiran region, it's working in Middle Shabele. Somali government, alongside self-styled Mawisle militia, launched the military campaign against Al-Shabaab in July in Gelgadud region before opening another front in the Middle Shabele region about a month later. Pryden says the capture of territories from Al-Shabaab has emboldened Somalis and the international community that the Al-Qaeda-linked militant group can be indeed defeated. However, he warns the ultimate victory against the group is the ability to sustainably hold recovered territories and establish local administrations. There are very legitimate concerns about the government's ability to hold on to the territory that it is recovering from al-Shabaab uh, for a number of reasons that require a, a collective effort if they're going to be overcome. But the, the bigger problem is that um, it, it seems that the operational tempo militarily is getting ahead of the planning and of force generation. And that is that um, there are insufficient holding forces to take these territories 
after the clearing forces have um, have secured them. Samira Gate, a regional security analyst, shares similar views, noting that a shabab has been able to take back recovered towns in the past. There is, of course, the fear that the government might not be able to hold it. I think this is a huge, significant win if the government will manage to hold it. This is not the first time that Aden Yabal has been recovered. It was recovered in 2016 by um, uh, Amisom and SNA forces. This time it's SNA-led forces that have captured the city together with Ma'awi slave forces. So we are hoping that this time it will be different. The challenge has been, uh, though, that the government has not planned for holding forces. Al-Shabaab pulled out from Aden Yabal about two days before Somali forces arrived in the area. This strategy, Gade says, could be a move by Al-Shabaab to save its resources for other portals. The strategy by Al-Shabaab to withdraw from this city is quite different from what it has done in the other towns in Hiran and in Middle Shabal and in Galgadud, where it has faced Ma'awi slave forces. This is the first uh, few instances that we see them withdrawing without really, um, you know, facing uh, the Somali forces. So it's interesting. It seems to me different from previous times. It, it is conserving its energies. Somali president said Tuesday that other regional governments, such as Jubalan and the Southwest state, were on course to open up other fronts against Al-Shabaab. Somali government is also targeting Ashabab finances and said last month it had closed 13 bank accounts affiliated with the group. The government has also mounted ideological warfare against Ashabab and has sought the support of clerics to counter extremist narratives. Ahmed Mohamed, for VOA News, Mugadishu, Somalia. Next week... Dozens of leaders from African nations will be in Washington for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. A few days ago, my colleague Vincent McCory sat down with Dana Banks, special assistant to the president and chair of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. They discussed the goals of the summit and the major issues facing the U.S. relationship with African governments. In this excerpt from their conversation, Banks starts by talking about the role of African diaspora community at the summit. So the Diaspora Forum, if uh, you're familiar with the strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa that was released earlier this year, um, and again, many of the the elements and themes of the strategy are going to be reflected in the summit. Uh, And so one uh, new area that we are focusing on, but a critical area, I think, uh, not just for uh, for foreign policy, but also to acknowledge the shared cultural um, and historical uh, backgrounds that, that we share, because of our diaspora community here in the United States and the strength of that community in uh, reinforcing the bonds between the continent and the United States. Uh, and so uh, the, the summit will actually kick off with um, a diaspora young African leaders forum uh, that will be held at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Uh, and it really will be focusing on how we can partner, how the United States can partner to support the youth. We always talk about this large uh, youth demographic on the continent, but how we can partner with institutions, with educational institutions, uh, with uh, the, the tech sector and digital, digital um, sector to support these, um, the youth on the continent who are more connected and capable uh, than ever to meet the challenges um, of, of this generation. Mm. Now, I hear there, there's going to be a business forum. Correct. Uh, what do you expect to achieve with this and who's going to attend? 
So the business forum um, is also, I think, a hot ticket. <laughs> but um, the business forum is acknowledgement, again, um, what you will see throughout uh, the summit reflected are the voices of um, various stakeholders who we consulted in this process of putting uh, the summit together. So whether it's the private sector or civil society or the diaspora or, of course, the African diplomatic corps and our African partners. But what we heard very clearly from our African partners and also from the private sector is that from the private sector, we want to invest more on the continent. Mm -hmm. And from our African partners is, how do we get more investment? So the business forum, the entire day, is dedicated to talking about some key areas, our overall trade and investment uh, posture, but also, and how we strengthen that, but also areas in, in such as agribusiness, uh, infrastructure and energy sector, as well as uh, digital economy and how we support that uh, and bringing in the private sector. And then we, as the U.S. government, being the conveners, using the tools that we have to support greater investment, whether it's through financing or credit or, uh, or risk guarantees. Uh, and so how we use our uh, departments and agencies, um, for example, that comprise Prosper Africa. Hmm. Prosper Africa, 17 U.S. government departments and agencies uh, from the Commerce Department, uh, Export-Import Bank, Development Finance Corporation, uh, Millennium Challenge Corporation, and others, uh, U.S. Trade and Development Association, uh, 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 Association, but how we bring all of these uh, uh, tools together from the U.S. government uh, to support greater trade investment across the continent. And really, the, the really exciting thing about it is that we um, had extent, have extended invitations to uh, not just American uh, CEOs, but also African CEOs, again, to foster and create greater linkages and opportunities for uh, investment. On the that was Dana Banks, the U.S. Chair of, uh, for the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. She was speaking with Africa 54 Managing Editor Vincent McCory. We'll have more of their discussion tomorrow. For more on the summit, please take a look at voaafrica.com and stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs for coverage. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. The UN Refugee Agency warns humanitarian conditions are deteriorating for tens of thousands of Somalis in Kenya's Dadaab refugee camps as unrelenting drought grips the Horn of Africa and funding dries up. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. More than 80,000 Somalis fleeing conflict and drought have arrived in Kenya's Dadaab refugee camps over the past two years, more than 24,000 since September. This is exacting an enormous burden on the local communities and refugees already living in the camps, which house an estimated 230,000 refugees. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, reports refugees, especially those who have arrived since the end of September, are in urgent need of assistance. It says shelter for the new arrivals is running out. This is forcing many to live in makeshift shelters with limited or no access to clean water and sanitation. To make matters worse, UNHCR spokesman Boris Cheshyakov says a cholera outbreak at the end of October has infected more than 350 people, mainly children. He says the spread of cholera is declining thanks to the efforts of health partners. However, the risk of further infection remains. UNHCR is providing new arrivals to the DAB with clean drinking water and extending sanitation and hygiene facilities to the outskirts of the camps. We are also providing targeted protection services for the most vulnerable 
to ensure their needs are met. Malnourished children are being screened and admitted to stabilization centers. He notes the UNHCR also is assisting nearby host communities. It is rehabilitating boreholes, providing generators for water pumps and trucking in water, while tending to the immediate needs of the refugees and local populations. He says the UNHCR and Kenyan government are seeking long-term solutions for this intractable problem. Kenya has been hosting more than half a million refugees and asylum seekers in Dadaab and Kakuma refugee camps and urban areas for over three decades. This is the second largest number in Africa after Ethiopia. Cheshikov says neither voluntary repatriation to Somalia nor resettlement in third countries of asylum are viable solutions currently. What uh, we are focusing on now is to find ways for refugees to become self-reliant in Kenya. And that includes through education, through vocational training, and through access to financial services so that people can start businesses, um, so that uh, uh, they have a, a, a prospect as a longer-term solution is found to their plight. In the meantime, the UNHCR warns its life-saving operations for more than 257,000 drought-affected people in Kenya is foundering for lack of financial support. It notes only half of an appeal issued in June for $11.1 million has been met. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Rwanda says the international community is worsening the conflict in eastern DRC when M23 rebels are fighting government forces. According to the French news agency AFP, Foreign Minister Vincent Biruta, in a statement called Diplomatic Efforts, a wrong and misguided approach that include external interference and dictates that are undermining regional efforts to calm the situation. His comments follow a call from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Rwandan President Paul Kagame on Saturday and the killing last week of 300 civilians attributed to the M23 in a village near North Kivu province. Blinken said Rwanda supports M23 rebels must end. Biruta said the discussion has been good, though differences in understanding of the issue remain. Rwanda denies supporting the M23, though Biruta says Rwanda's security concerns must be addressed, including the DRC-based FDLR rebel group that spitted against Kigali. And now for World Cup highlights. And to share his thoughts with us, we have online the host of VOA's The Sunny Cyber Sports, Sunny Young. Welcome to African News Tonight, Sunny. Sporty World Cup. Greetings, Yaheas, Yaheas. Let's on this evening on this evening we are all Moroccan. Yes, let's start Moroccan. let's start with yeah, let's start with a great match. Spain, Morocco, Morocco wins, Africa wins. What say you, Sonny? Yes, Morocco wins, Africa wins. Biggest win in Moroccan football history, Yaheas. First time the team has ever reached the World Cup quarterfinals. They duplicate the previous World Cup achievements of Cameroon in 1990, uh, Senegal in 2002, and Ghana in 2010. They all reached the quarterfinals. But I tell you, Yehaeus, this Moroccan team 
could go even farther than the quarterfinals. Their defense against Spain was absolutely stellar. Uh, just a great defensive effort. And to put it in perspective, Yeheus, the Moroccans have given up only one goal in four World Cup matches. They didn't concede a goal at all this evening. Uh, possibly a national hero this evening is the Moroccan goalkeeper, Yassine Bono. He is based in Spain with the club Sevilla. Uh, he made two saves in the penalty kick shootout against Spain, and the other shot by the Spaniards uh, hit the post. So Morocco ended up winning the shootout 3-0, 3-0 in the penalty kick shootout. Uh, the the game-winning kick was uh, delivered by Morocco's PSG star, uh, Ashraf Hakimi, uh, the PSG star, but I just thought it was a deserved victory for Morocco, Yeheus. They, they were outstanding this evening. Sonny, so you said defense, very good. But uh, moving forward, like they could be uh, into the finals. They have this problem of converting. Uh, uh, the, the, like they are so near the goal line, but not converting it into a goal. Uh, the that, attack, that's, a, that's a good yeah, That's yeah. a good point. Mm-hmm. Good point, Yeheus. I mean, they, they did have – they had a, a I counted three. <laughs> uh, yes, they had a few good chances this evening, uh, very close to the goal. And I, I actually got the feeling uh, Spain was really looking for the win at the end uh, so they wouldn't have to go to a penalty kick shootout, uh, whereas maybe the Moroccans were more comfortable with, uh, with, with being in that, that tense situation. The other factor this evening, uh, in my eyes, Yeheus, was sort of the 12th man on the field for Morocco. The Moroccan crowd was just unbelievable. Uh, there, there were approximately 20,000 Moroccan fans uh, at the match against Spain. They were so loud throughout the match. And I, I think they really inspired the Atlas Lions of Morocco. And Sonny, uh, Portugal uh, later today takes on Switzerland, right? That's the uh, that's the second match of the day. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal going up against Switzerland. The winner of uh, that match, Yeheus, will play the Atlas Lions of Morocco. And mm. again, I, I give the Moroccans a good chance against either one of those teams, uh, simply based on their defense. It would be nice to see maybe maybe a goal or two uh, in the quarterfinals, but uh, I think so many Moroccans are, are just jubilant this evening, Yeheus, over the performance of their national team. And looking back, uh, uh, Brazil uh, defeating you know South Korea and uh, what's that? Croatia, Japan. Uh, your your thoughts on that? Yeheus, uh, uh, the Brazilians were just. Uh, outstanding on Monday. Uh, four first-half goals against South Korea. Uh, honestly, uh, based on that performance, uh, I think they're the team to beat uh, in the in the remainder of the tournament. Uh, they 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 look superb. Uh, there were question marks about Neymar, uh, but he looks he looks uh, he looks healthy now uh, for the Brazilians. And, and they're going to be a very tough team to beat 
uh, as we head into the quarterfinals. But again, Morocco will be waving the African flag high uh, in the last eight. And uh, it's a great story for Africa, Yehaz. It is. As always, Sonny, thank you for your input. Thank you, Yehaz. And uh, thank you for having me on Africa News Tonight. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehias Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, John Walker, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.